often seems to me here that a person believes that if they tell you your, their story, that that's who they are. And sometimes these stories are constructed of the most banal, second-hand psychological and spiritual cliche. And you look at a beautiful, interesting face telling a story that you know doesn't hold a candle to the life that's secretly in there. Hi, you're with Shireen Gnosi. Join me on a journey through the landscape of faith, identity, and belonging as we discuss some of the most provocative issues of the 21st century through intimate storytelling of our most deeply personal narratives. As many of you may know, I've been really interested in personal narratives for quite some time, and I've gone back and forth and shared some of my narrative history as quote-unquote a reformer, and also shared the stories of other people who are like-minded in, in the way that we think about the world. And what I'm really interested in is bringing you more of those stories in a more official capacity, which I hope this podcast and videocast will do, and also bringing you the perspectives of people who don't necessarily think like you and I, and looking to see if we can come to the table and have a conversation that is meaningful so that we can understand each other a little bit better in a civil capacity, even if we walk away not agreeing. So our very first episode is with Carl Jack, and Carl is a Black American convert to Islam who is a conservative and a former board member of a CARE New York chapter. And Carl talks about his experience and what it was like when he converted to Islam, what he thought it was going to be, and then his experience as it was. So there's a difference between Islam, the philosophy, and then Islam as it is practiced by the people or as it is represented through the people of the faith. And he also talks about his experience in dealing with the community as a businessman and how he how he really felt during his time in care so for example you know you've got care who championed civil rights but he felt that it was really falling short when it came to respecting the african-american lineage of the civil rights era and the civil rights movement everything that those predecessors have done to really lay the, the the heavy bricks for the american muslim efforts now and Carl also talks about Muslim advocacy days at the state capitals and what his experience was like there. And the portrait of black Americans as weak versus the reality. And he has a really striking picture that he paints that I couldn't possibly even replicate. You have to listen to the way that he describes it. And, you know, really how that history relates to where African-Americans are today. So I learned a lot from this podcast. I thought I was interviewing someone who was just about care, but he really educated me a lot more on the Black American Muslim experience and, and how we can uh, better ally with those individuals and better respect those stories and, and create space for that. So I welcome Carl, and I hope you enjoy this video or podcast, however you're listening to it. And if you get a chance, please do share it. Please also... Uh, give however you can. These things take a really, really long time and there isn't a, a piggy bank for it, so to speak. So your donations go a really long way in making sure that I have the time and availability freed up so that I can really dedicate to more of these interviews and reach out to folks and um, 
do the work it takes to get to know people before they come on board and sit down and have a chat for everyone to listen to. All right. Thank you so much, everyone. And here we go. You know what? My thing is, I believe I'll answer any question from anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I just tell them, don't be upset with the answer you get. Yeah. Um, what, what I have found, um, my experience with um, our people, for lack of a better word, is if you're not following a particular agenda, you are the bad guy, okay? Um, I remember I, um, when I first became a Muslim, well, I'm Carl Jack. Um, I am an organic farmer from Aiken, South Carolina. Um, I live in New York right now. I kind of go back and forth. Um, I also have an MBA. I grew up in a Southern family of you know, farmers. Uh, the farm that I have now has been in my family since slavery. Um, and, you know, I remember growing up in South Carolina, it was, uh, it was different. I lived, I lived in the South, but I also grew up in the North too. My dad was a physicist and uh, he worked for IBM and IBM is huge in upstate New York. And that's how I found my way to the New York area. Um, but I always, I always went back and forth, you know, to the South. Um, grew up in a Southern, you know, my grandparents were Southern Baptists. And uh, I remember going to church as a kid. It was hell for me because (laughs) I remember going, especially in the summer, you know, you would put on your three-piece suit, this hot, excuse my language, yeah, Yeah. hot as hell, okay? Three-piece suit, and you would sit there all day, and I would listen to this pastor just rant. And um, I always kind of laughed because I was like, this can't be real. You know, um, I would listen to him basically say, if you're not doing things this way, you're going to hell. Okay. But then my dad who was from Trinidad. He was uh, his religion, so to speak. He was a Protestant. Um, but I would argue that he was actually an atheist. But you know, his religion was Protestant. I would go to the Protestant church, hear the same thing. If you don't do things this particular way, you're going to hell. Um, I had friends who were Jehovah Witnesses, same thing. I had friends who were Catholics, same thing. And um, I always kind of felt like, you know what? Um, my chances of getting into heaven aren't good. You know, with you know, you have a hundred different denominations um, telling you if you're not doing something a particular way, you're going to hell. And I went on this journey of just searching for spirituality. And um, I had some friends who were Muslim. And um, I remember they were one, uh, and it were different groups. One group was from Gambia. Um, another group was from Egypt. And I remember my friends from Gambia, we would talk about religion and they said, well, have you ever read the Quran? And I was like, no, but, and they were very calm. And mm-hmm. they said, just, they would never argue with me. And I was always up for a debate. 
Oh, that's me. I'm always reported to me. And um, <coughs> excuse me. They um, said, just read the Quran. Yeah. And we'll have a discussion. And it took me years before I actually opened it up. And one day I opened, I just opened it. And I got to a passage and it said something like, there are righteous among Christian, Jews, and Muslims. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. That makes sense to me, okay? You're not telling me because in my, my head, I never believed that one particular group could have a lock on any, on getting to heaven, okay? So when I heard righteous among Christian, Jews, and Muslims, I was like, okay, it's appealing. And I started kind of reading and studying and I would talk to my friends who were, uh, you know, that, that were Muslim. Yeah. And um, I accepted Islam because of the principles I believed in, okay? Um, but I always had a problem with organized religion. My experience with organized religion has not always been good. I've always seen a lot of hypocrisy um, with religious leaders. So I never, I never trusted religious leaders or, you know, even religious people I had an issue with. Um, fast forward a little bit, I accepted Islam. I was uh, probably 33 or so, okay? And um, I remember my first Ramadan. Mm -hmm. I never, I didn't know anything about Ramadan. I didn't know anything about, you know, I didn't know anything. It was my very first Ramadan. And I think I uh, accepted Islam maybe a month before Ramadan. Like, mm -hmm. And I remember my friends from okay. Egypt, who they were always very, very down to earth. Like this is so what you're going to get. Like this is the real thing. And this is the real thing. Yeah. And I just assumed Okay, at that point, I was like, okay, almost, this is it. <laughs> I, I have found, I'm in heaven. This oh, is it. Oh, poor thing. Let me tell you, I went to, uh, I think it was the first day of Ramadan, the first prayer that evening. I went and I was like, what the hell? Where are, who are all these people? Because for the month that I was going, I would go to every prayer and it's the same six people. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> now all of a sudden there's 70,000 people. Okay? And I, I immediately ran into what I call the uh, Muslim police. Okay. I call them the Ramadan police that directing you here, here. So everyone we go in and it's time to pray. I don't speak Arabic, not one bit. Okay, I pray in Arabic, not like I know a little bit, but at that time, I didn't know anything. And they're just going on and on and on. And I was like, okay, and I'm just following. I don't know what they're saying. I don't know anything. So I'm just following what everyone else is doing. And I got tired. And I said, I'm going home. And I just got up and I decided to walk out. I didn't know that it's not proper to break a prayer line. So I walked in between these people and these guys pushed me out of the way. And I, I was like, oh, wow, 
okay. My first thought was to fight, you know? Yeah. I said, okay, this, this, this is different, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and I remember I was angry and I left. Um, the next day I came back and um, I kind of came back with a different attitude. Um, the blinders were off. Mm -hmm. So I was very, um, I was looking at people for who they were at that point, okay? Um, I noticed that as there weren't that many black uh, Muslims at this particular mosque. Which mosque were you at? Um, it was a mosque in Wappingers Falls, New York. Um, I can't remember the exact mostly name. The Arab community or? Well, it was a mixture. It was mostly um, Arab uh, people from Bangladesh and Pakistan. Okay. But you have to remember the area that I live in, in New York is a very, it's an upper middle class neighborhood. Um, I, would, I would say that 90 5% of the people that went to this mosque were professionals, whether it be doctor, engineer, lawyer, okay? Um, and they were, I, I immediately noticed that it, a lot of things wasn't so much about religion as it was about class and where you came from, okay? Um, and ethnicity. What's that? Ethnicity as well. Oh, ab absolutely. Um, I felt, uh, I felt as though I was accepted mm -hmm. only because they had to. Okay? How many black people were at that mosque, typically? Uh, I would say out of the 400 families that were a part of this mosque, yeah. I would say maybe 20 families okay. were black, okay? Um, but I always felt different, yeah. okay? Um, I never really felt uh, a part of it, okay? I felt like, okay, yeah, I'm allowed to come, allowed to pray I'm allowed to do these things but I was never a real what I would consider a, a real Muslim to them I remember one of the brothers found out that I had I was a contractor yeah. and uh, he asked me to uh, he had a problem he called me up he had a problem with his basement flooding or whatever it was and I went and I, it was an emergency and I immediately helped him out. And uh, he never paid me. And he acted as though that was my duty as a Muslim to help another brother out. I let it go as, okay, this is just an individual. But I realized quickly that I got, I ended up doing a lot of work for a lot of different people in that mosque. Um, I literally counted that year. I did business with 
approximately, well, in the two year period, I did this with approximately 32 Muslim families. Mm -hmm. Out of the 32, out of the 32, 30 was a disaster. Okay, I just was like, this, this is a horrible experience. enjoyed part one of Carl's experience of becoming a Muslim and then his treatment within the community and as I think we can all agree that we have a lot of work to do in terms of making people feel welcomed and comfortable. There was um, a Facebook post recently within Misfit Muslims where women talked about why they don't go to the mosque and a lot of the same reasons that Carl was stating was the same reason that the average woman doesn't want to go to the mosque because it's not a space of belonging for us. So whether you're a minority Muslim, a, a female Muslim, a new Muslim, I think there's a much better job we can do. And I think maybe the answer isn't in the mosque. The answer is in new spaces outside of the mosque. So if you do, if you do like what you're hearing, please do donate via the PayPal link below or, um, you know, given whatever means you can, whether it's even just a social share, that's always appreciated. And in part two, we he goes on to join CARE and he resigned from CARE a year ago and he was with them for quite some time. So uh, stay tuned, listen in. They were looking for people to, uh, to volunteer and uh, be a part of the organization. And he asked me if I was uh, willing to be a board member. And I kind of laughed. I was like, yeah, sure. Anything that involves civil rights is appealing to me. Mm -hmm. Okay. I was like, yeah, I was on board. Um, I went through the whole screening process and I got on board. Um, they needed uh, a treasurer and... Um, I remember they somebody nominated me, and I was like, "Yeah, fine, I'll you know be the treasurer," and, and that's kind of how it went. Um, the problems started for me when I would go to different events. Um, I was the only black board member. Um, I felt like I might have been selected because they needed some diversity, um, which, which was fine. I didn't even mind that. Um, but I felt like the concerns of the African-American Muslim community wasn't important. Um, you have police brutality, you have mass incarceration, you have um, all of these different things that are going on in you have um, huge, huge racism in these particular communities. Why is CARE not, okay, running to any of these events, okay? You talk about it in a very, oh, we're all one, okay? But that's just talk. The actions are different. I said, so while you are talking about God forbid, Bit someone says something uh, racist toward uh, the Bangladesh community, okay? You guys are all in, in arms. But when it's the black community, 
it's different. But not only that, you yourselves, okay, are, you don't, you're, not, you're not including blacks in anything that you do, okay? Um, as my, my, my family, my parents were very, they were very big in the civil rights movement, okay? Um, my dad actually knew Malcolm X. Um, and this is before people were always like, oh, really? Oh my God. What they don't understand is when my father knew him, he was, he was up and coming. He wasn't this, you know, this uh, important person at the time. He was, a, a, he was on the streets talking about civil rights and these things. Um, African-Americans paved the way for every other group that's here striving and doing what they do. So you okay? would that care aligning with Black Lives Matters once Black Lives Matters got big is, is just lip service, it's not really action. Because that's what they've been doing. They, they saw BLM became a trending subject and that's what I've seen them do is they, they parasitically attach themselves to whatever social justice movement that's coming on. I always felt that certain communities, it was either the, uh, either the Arab community um, or the Southeast Asian community that was the focus of attention, okay? I, 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 that was clear, okay? Um, I never felt that any other Muslim groups were really, were really represented. Um, I, and I still feel, I, I mean, I still feel the same way. I, I, I felt like certain topics, certain cases were chosen, okay, to be addressed, okay? Um, and if it didn't fit CARE's agenda, it was pushed to the side. What is and CARE's agenda? What would you say is their agenda? Well, I mean, I, I, I mean, their mission statement kind of says it, but I felt like their, their, uh, those were just words. The actions didn't match the words, you know. Um, it it. Um, you were talking about the uh, the Muslim Day at the Capitol, and you went there, and that was sort of the first time you started having an issue with uh, with what you saw. What did you see? Like, what was your experience like there? Well, their biggest they had. Huge, and you see, I kind of start laughing when I start talking about it at, at this point. Um, their big issue, well, they had big issues with, you know, racism within the community, okay? Uh, police profiling, um, uh, violence toward, you know, violence from, you know, uh, uh, the police and, you know, other groups toward, Muslims, okay? Um, all of the same issues that African-Americans have been dealing with for 500 years, okay? Um, and I remember saying, why 
don't you have more African-Americans in your circle? African-Americans have been down this road. You guys are babies in this little, in this, in this walk. You're literally babies. I said, you know, this country, 25% of America is at, 25% of the Muslims in this country are African-American. Why are you not going to them, okay, saying, hey, what do we do in this situation, okay? Um, and I felt like they didn't want anything. Their problems were for them, okay? They didn't want anything to do with African-American Muslims, okay? We're here, but you know what? We're, we're different, okay? We're a, a sect by ourselves or something, you know? Um, what did you hear when you brought this up and you, and you proposed this idea that African-Americans have led the civil rights movements? And, and some of the things that I've learned in studying this is that African-Americans actually brought Islam to America much, much, yes. obviously, you know, historically uh, in the time of slavery and beyond in the last uh, 60, 70 years. What was your, like, what did they respond with when you brought this the up? The response is, is, is pure lip service. Yes, Carl, you are so right. We are where we are. We're standing on the backs of African Americans, okay? But that's all, that's where the conversation oh. ended. They are in this country, okay? And they are, they're getting educated. They're opening businesses, okay? They're living the American dream, okay? Because another group of people paved the way for them, okay? They were not. And saying, you did this. You, you made it possible for us to be here today. Let, let us now help you. Let us help your community in some exactly. way. It's not, it's not there. Exactly. Because at the end of the day, okay, the African-American community is still in bad shape compared to any Muslim community, okay? Most of the Muslims that are coming here today are coming here, they're educated, okay? They're coming with money, okay? They have backing. For, to open businesses, all of these things, okay? So when I hear the whole, um, oh, you know, we're being discriminated against, BS, stop it, okay? Stop it, all right? Not to mention a lot of the problems in the Muslim community are brought on, brought on, by, on your own, okay? I'm going to tell you a hilarious story. Okay, this is one of my, when I tell you one of my favorite stories of all time. So, you, I, you know, I, I'm an organic farmer. So I do business and I'm in every single one horse town all over the United States. Okay, I, um, I deal with and I finally call them the good old boys. Okay, and we get along. Okay, what are, what are um, for us, boys? for people who don't know, like we talked about this before you and I before, uh, when we first met, but for other people who don't know what you mean by that, what do you mean by that? Okay, the good old boys in my, good old boys for me are the salt of the earth. You have, they're usually your white, male, conservative uh, guy, mm -hmm. okay? Women too. Mm -hmm. um, 
they, I, I grew up with these people. Um, my family in the south, yes. My fam, right. My family's farm was right next door. The farm connected was a white family. Um, I don't get it wrong. Racism, of course, it it it's been around. It will always be around. Okay, but I still remember uh, when it came to harvest time, the white farmers and the black farmers they worked side by side because you needed to get your crop in. Okay, um, the the racism that existed back then when. I still, I, I, and I, I, I'm always full of stories, so I'll kind of, kind of go back and forth a little bit. But I remember, I'm 53 years old, okay? I remember when I was young, I might have been, when you start getting your memory, four, five, something like that. I remember my uh, grandfather saying to my grandmother, said, take the kids inside, the night riders, are out. The Night Riders were the clan. That's when the name for the clan. I remember my grandmother took us in, the kids inside. My grandfather called his friends, okay? Um, they came, they came with their guns, okay? And these are all older African